podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Just over a month to go until the Euros kick off for Scotland against the Czech Republic. So here on the Hamden Roar, we're trying to keep a major tournament theme going, build the anticipation and build the suspense. And who better to have on than Stuart McCall, a man who played at three major tournaments for Scotland in the 90s. Welcome in, Stuart. How are you doing? Yeah, good, Andy. Thank you. Brilliant. Well, we have so much to cover with you, so let's get straight to it. You're a very experienced man in a, in a Scotland jersey. I, I feel, though, looking at your caps on the, the SFA website, there probably could have been some more, but we'll, we'll come to that. Um, I think we should go back to the start. So you're born, uh, for anyone that might not be aware, you're born in Leeds, hence the accent, um, to Scottish parents. So how did you really identify growing up with Scotland and England? Well, there was only there was only one country I was supporting, Um be it David Wilkie at the swimming, Alan Wells at the running, Jockey Wilson at darts. I was Scottish in any, everything bar, birthplace, really. I always used to give my dad a bit of stick for, because <laughs> my, my elder brother was born in uh, Hamilton. My sister was born in Blackpool, because my dad was, a, you know, he played um, played with Matthews and Morrison at Blackpool. He actually got a B-cap for Scotland as well back, back in the day. Um, and he ended up playing for Leeds United with John Charles and Jackie Charles, so hence I was born in Leeds, but... I says, why couldn't you get back up the road and you know let me be a, a true Scottish as well? They only had a little broken down mini at the time, and my mum wouldn't risk it. So hence, I was uh, yeah proud to be a Yorkshireman. I've got to say, but um, you know Scotland was was always a, the country for me. You know, and it was, I always supported them. I remember watching all the World Cups coming through. You know, 74, 78, 82. You know, and you know they were they were great occasions. So can you, um, can you remember the 74 World Cup? You'd have been nine or ten years old at that point, yeah? Then I can, yeah. I, I, my, my idol, my Scottish idol, probably because he played for Leeds as well with Joe Jordan, you know, and, and I remember. And, and at that time, Scotland had a lot of Leeds players, Peter Lorimer, you know, the great late Billy Bremner, and David Harvey in goal, and then later on, McQueen, Jordan, the Grey brothers, you know, so there was always a strong element, um, you know, linked you know, with Leeds United and obviously with Scotland. So, but I mean, going going back, I remember, I think, it, well, it was the 81. I went down, I was 17. Um, I was actually the apprentice at Bradford City at the time. And maybe pal, I remember getting on the bus on a Saturday morning to Golders Green, 81. And we stopped at every service station, or not every service station, but three service stations. My pal was obviously English. Funny enough, Paul, he's, he's lived in his last 30-odd years in Scotland right enough. But... <laughs> um, so every, I mean, I remember the first service station just about, about Sheffield. You know, I, I got a, a tartan scarf. He got an England scarf. I think the next one down at the Midlands, I got the lion rampant. He, I think he got an England bobble hat. And then right at the end, the last one we stopped at, I got a CU Jimmy wig, you know. So I'm obviously tartan to the eyeballs and we're going down Wembley Way and that. And, you know, it was a time... Um, there was a little bit, it's when the sort of the hooligan element were, were kicking in, the, you know, the casuals and things, and there was always talk about, 
because Scotland fans have gone down there and, and took over London for, for days. Is you know, I don't I think you're probably not old enough to remember them days, but that's what used to happen. Um, and then I, I remember in, in, the, in the stadium, I mean, the team, I mean, Ruffy was in goal, you know, uh, Miller and McLeish, the Aberdeen Tucson at the back, my idol, as I said before, big joke from um, an 0 4 4 2. You know, I think David Proven on one wing, uh, John Robertson on the other. So it was. Um, but it was a fantastic atmosphere. But I think I'm about three quarters way through the game or halfway through the game, up in the far corner. I think it was there was a few London casuals. I don't know if it was West Ham or whatever it was, but there was talk about, and they started burning a an England scarf, a Scotland scarf, should I say? Um, and there's you know a little bit of scuffles, and then next minute round the stadium, you could sort of see these sort of England flag scarves getting, I mean, burnt. And I remember a big boy next to me, Paul, he grabbed hold of him because obviously Paul McPaul had a scarf on. And um, he says, right, you know, he's, uh, and I turn around, I look, uh, excuse me, big man, he's with me. You know, put my best Scottish accent on. <laughs> so, so he left him alone. So Paul owed me one that day. He, he kept his scarf intact. But I mean, the day itself, obviously, John Robertson scoring the winning penalty kick. Um, and it was, it was just awesome. But we actually managed to get back to Golders Green for about six o'clock. And I was back up in the local pub in Leeds at half past nine in all the regalia. And I walked in and I remember um, the barman saying to me, all right, Stuart, you know, we know you're a Scotland fan. You've watched it on telly. You've come out. You know, don't you think you're going a bit far? He says, I've just come for the game. He says, there's no way you're back from Hampton. Got to pull the programme out of my pocket. He went, what the heck? So, um, yeah, great <laughs> memories. And then uh, two years later, unfortunately, I went to the, that one when I think uh, they tried to ban us for Wembley, the ticket ban with Ted Croker. We got beat 2-0 that night, Wednesday night. But... Um, yeah, I've always, like I say, it's it's so I, I put, I'm as passionate Scott as anyone. I would say, you know, and probably harder when you get brought up in Yorkshire and you're in the playground and you know everything you want is, is Scotland. But um, that's how it was, and you know, I'm proud. I was very proud, obviously, finally to pull the uh, the shirt on. So when you're watching Scotland in this era, has it entered your realm that one day that could be a possibility for you? No, no, never. Never at all, you know. I like to say when I first went, when my first game um, at Wembley was, I was seventeen, and even though I, I was, I was at, you know, I was at Bradford City, which was in the bottom division, fourth division at that stage. But no, you you, you never dreamed that far. I never, I never had dreams of that. I, um, you know, if I could follow in my dad's footsteps and become a footballer, great. But even only a couple of months before I got signed at Bradford, I was writing off to banks and building societies, and you know, I, I thought I'd missed the boat. A lot of my pals had been taken on, but. In the end, it uh, it worked out okay. Well, you nearly played for the English under twenty ones, didn't you? Which back then would have had serious ramifications for any ambition you did have to play for Scotland. You were actually on the bench for them and about to come on, but the ref blew for full time. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, I'm, I'm sure most people know this story. But going back, um, remember, I got I was in the bath. Um, after training at Bradford one day and the secretary came down and says to me oh great news you've been picked for Scotland under the 21s which you know there'd been there'd been uh, media reports that uh, Sir Alex Ferguson had been down to watch me because he was a 21 manager um, and honestly I couldn't have been any prouder and I, I was just I, I'm a, I was still sat in the big bath on my own 20 minutes later and he came down and he, he says oh we've got better news you've been picked for England under the 21s and my heart just sank. It wasn't better news for me. It was an absolute nightmare. Um, and then for the next couple of hours, I mean, the England manager at the time was Bobby Robson. 
and uh, Dave Sexton is a 21 manager. The Scotland manager was a late, late Jock Steen, and obviously Sir Alex um, was a 21 manager. Um, I couldn't, there were no mobile phones in them days. Couldn't get old mum and dad. Um, and my English, uh, my Bradford manager at the time was Trevor Cherry. Again, um, the late great Trevor Cherry sadly passed away. Um, and he was a manager. Terry Orrith, Welsh, was the assistant. And they were pushing me towards England. And uh, because for the club, if I got sold on, I were in England under twenty one manager uh, player. It would obviously more value to my price if I got sold. So, um, and and then I think the last. The last somebody said to me, he says, listen now, Scotland have only got one Anglo, which was Brian McClare at the time. Because at that time, you'd done the United, Aberdeen, Rangers, Celtic, Hearts, you know, Thistle even. Um, all, of, all of Scotland national team were coming from, you know, up the road and were saying, oh, you won't fit in your little Yorkshire accent and, you know, and all that. So anyway, under pressure, people are ringing every two minutes. I've got to go make a decision. So about five o'clock before I set back off, um, set back um, home, I made the decision um, to go against my heart and uh, go with England. So I get back home. Um, I'm there at night, I think eight o'clock at night, little council flat, me and my mum. And the phone goes, my mum picks it up and she's gone, it's Jock Steen on the phone. I went, I okay, mum. So I got on the phone, I go, hi, big man, how's it hanging? How's things doing? He says, oh, it's Mr. Steen here. I says, yeah, okay, okay, Jock. Um, I thought it was my best pal, John Hendry, you know, was a, and um, no, he says, no, it's Jock Steen here. And I say, I just, my mum looked at me, she thought something, something had happened. She didn't know what was going on. And Colour drained from your face. Oh, incredible. And unbeknown to me, um, my dad went to either played, played at school with him, or I think my dad was a couple of years younger than him. I went to the same school with him in Hamilton, Burnbank, I think. And, and my dad had sent him a letter to let him know that I was eligible because obviously um, my dad being Scottish and my mum being Scottish, that was eligible to play. But he rung me up, he found my number from somewhere, I don't know, um, and rung me up to wish me all the best in my future. He says, I know it must have been a tough decision and uh, wish me all the best. I mean, that was an incredible uh, gesture and phone call to take. I've got, I'll admit now, tears rolled down my face. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect, especially now knowing Sir Alex, Imagine Sir Alex ringing me saying, uh, you know, oh, I understand your decision, all the best. He'd have been saying, get to. <laughs> but um, so that night I made my mind up. I never slept a wink. I thought, right, I'm going in next day. I'm going to go see the manager, Trevor, and say, listen, I've changed my mind. I've, I've sports me. Although my mum and dad were just supportive of me. They would never push me either way. I think they would have liked me to choose Scotland, actually. But um, I went in with the, the full intention of changing my mind and all over the, the papers the next morning, um, McCall rejects Scots and McCall's English and, and all this and there was no going back then so cut long story short I go away with them to, to Turkey 121s I'm on the bench um, and then with five minutes ago Dave Sexton turns around and says you know go get warmed up so I go behind the far goal um, and I can hear him shouting for me to come around to get on and, and you know I'm blanking it I'm, I'm, I'm warming up as far possible as ways I can possibly be um, I mean, if it was an half an hour ago, I understand it. But with five minutes to go, they obviously wouldn't put me on to change the game. It was nil-nil at the time. Um, they'll put me on just to make sure, well, if he plays with 21s now, we can forget about him maybe. And in time, if he becomes a better player, he can play for England. It was more a security policy, I thought. But anyway, came back. Tony Cotty runs round to get me. He says, listen, Gaffer wants you over. So I come back to the dugout. Um, I'm in the dugout. I got me a shin pad and I threw it and I couldn't find it. I'm saying I can't find my shin pad they've got me a shin pad I snapped my tie up I did everything I possibly could 
not to get to get on. And anyway, Dave Sexton, there's a picture of me with Dave Sexton. He's got his arm around me just as I'm, I'm stand on the touchline with my England kit on. And uh, I thought there was still a couple of minutes to go and the referee blew the whistle and I'm thinking, oh, that's for me. The ball went out for a throw-in. I thought, right, that's for me to come on, you know, as a sub. And it was a full-time whistle. <laughs> and I've never been more relieved in my whole life. And, you know, things change in your life, football, everything. And that was the biggest, you know, if I'd have got on that pitch, obviously I would never have gone to any tournaments or played 40 times for Scotland, et cetera, et cetera. So I was so fortunate. Um, and then I came back down the the tunnel got changed went and watched the, the England full team the day after I think they won beat Turkey 8-1 or something Brian Robson um, and all them you know a lot, of, a lot of top stars John Barnes we were on the same plane on the way back and when I went back I went next day I went back in to see Manji and says listen I'm really sorry I just I, I just feel Scottish I says I can't imagine if I ever play for England against Scotland they won't be scoring own goals and things I can't promise that so um, we got in touch with them and said listen really appreciate it I, I enjoyed the trip but Unfortunately, my heart's my heart's where my heart is, and you know, so that was it. And I, and I never really expected after that to um, to get called up again. But you know, years years down the line, I was fortunate that I uh, I did. Yeah, because it, it took a wee while for you then to get involved in the Scottish under twenty ones. So was that because you had initially committed to England? Possibly, I, I honestly don't know. I think because obviously, no, I then became older than. Obviously, twenty-one. So, it, but they, they had um, again a B game. I want under twenty-three. I think it was called the B International, um, and it was up at um, Petodre, and I got called up for it. But on the same night, we Bradford had a rearranged game against Sunderland. We were going to, to get promotion, and obviously at that day's club game before country. So I remember. Um, I think Ian Wilson then actually took my place in the squad and played. I think he then got a move to Everton from the on the back of it. So. I, I couldn't play in that. And then eventually it, it was uh, it was crazy, really, because I got a call up from uh, Craig Brown, who was, who was managing the, the Scotland under 21s. But at that stage, I was, I don't know, age or 23, 24, but they had two overage players. And it was myself and Paul Hegarty. Now, okay. funny enough, I used to walk Paul Hegarty at Hamilton when I, when I used to come up at times. So I roomed with, with Paul. So I think he was, he was a lot older than me. But I, uh, so us two were the overage players. And lo and behold, we play at Forest and it's against England. Um, Gaza, the lot, in fact, Gaza came off after 18 minutes. I'm giving him such a hard time. But no, I, I, I think he pulled his hamstring or something. We got beat 1 0, um, having got beat in the first, like I think 2 0 or something like that. But um, yeah, funny, after all that, yeah, my first actual game for Scotland as an overage player was against England down in Nottingham. Brilliant. And the A squad came pretty soon after that, didn't it? The debut against Argentina. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm then 26. Um, I've had a couple of decent seasons at Everton. Um, and, and believe it or not, you know, it was the first time I'd ever been to Hamden. You know, oh, so yeah. to, to, to walk out there, a full house, um, obviously some family in the, in, the, in the ground. I was obviously proud as I probably could be. And then not only to be playing the world champions, the current world champions, but then to go on and beat them. I remember knocking a ball down for Stuart McKimmon, Stuart rifled it, another debutant rifled it in the bottom corner. I mean, that was if all dreams could come true. The only thing was then the Tartan Army thought, well, if we can beat the current world champions, <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to Italy and we're going to win it. You know, naturally that would follow. Um, I say that's, that's, but, a bit, that's a bit unlike the Tartan Army to keep expectations in check, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's not. Well, you beat Argentina, then 
You've got what have you got? Costa Coffee coming up next. That's how it was deemed, <laughs> wasn't it? Everyone think, oh, what a get that. So obviously, um, but that's the ups and downs of football. But I'm, so after my debut, and it's quite unusual because once Scotland had qualified, you know, if you look at well, not that we've qualified recently, but you look at England down the years or Wales or whoever qualifies, they normally keep the the nucleus of what what Scotland to a tournament. But in that that Argentinian game, there were four debutants. Um, Stuart McKim and myself, Craig Levine and, and, and Robert Fleck. And I think added to the, the Italian squad that went, Gary Mack, I think John Collins, I don't know if John Collins might have, Gordon Jury maybe, maybe they were around. But, you know, there were a lot of, you know, new faces come, even though Scotland had qualified for it. So I think I played, well, I played five warm-up games. You know, we had a game up at Petardre, a game at Hamden, um, and did okay. Um, but it was absolutely, you know, when when you got named, when I got named in the, in the World Cup uh, party to go to, to Italia 90, it was it was incredible. So did you feel that you had made enough of an impression that when the squad was being considered and announced that you would be involved? Uh, okay. I thought I, I thought I'd done okay. I think the press were pretty favourable towards me. Um, you know, obviously I was playing down at uh, Everton at the time. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I'd, I'd done okay. Um, but because in the, I think the five or six warm-up games, I'd actually, apart from the one up against, I think it's Egypt, we got beat 3-1 maybe, but I told you I didn't start in that, I played 45 minutes. I'd actually started all the games. So you begin to think, well, you know, the next thing, if you get named in a squad, then can you actually force yourself into your starting 11? And, uh, you know, thankfully I must have done enough to, to, to manage to do that. And you were mid-20s at this point, yeah, 26? 26. 26, okay. So yeah. you were you weren't a youngster anymore. So what had you developed into? What kind of midfielder had you developed into? Strengths and weaknesses. Um, well, it's funny because I started out when I was young as a what you say box to box midfielder, getting forward, getting goals. I, think I had one season at Bradford, I got thirteen. Um, you know, like anyone when you're playing, you, you want to get a goal as well. So I was that, but then uh, just a sort of all round action. You know, as long as I'm not on the ball, I'm okay, you know. I'll win the ball and give it to someone like Paul McStay who can make the passes and Jim Bett at the time it was. Um, just energetic and, you know, give me best really every time I went out, just try to, you know, do everything you can to, to win a game of football. But, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, when I when coming to Scotland squad there, there was, you know, the midfield was, was like, like say Jim Bett and, and Paul McStay. I think Murdo McLeod in there. Um and then up top, you had like more big McInally. Um, and at the back, characters, big, big Roy Aitken, Alec McLeish. You know, Maurice Malpas was a great help when I first came in into the setup. Um, but no, it was it was just brilliant to be involved in it. It, it was, it's not like you could have maybe been overawed as you weren't a teenager, but it was your first time away with the squad. So who was it that particularly impressed you I mean these are tough games that you're playing against Argentina then Germany Poland there as well Egypt and then Malta they were the warm-up games for Italian 90 who do you remember particularly being impressed by in these games um, from, a, from a Scotland perspective from, yeah from a, I, well I think he won it I think again late great David Cooper was part of one one of the I think when we went to Malta David was in that group and his ability in training was incredible obviously likes of playing in my position Paul McStay you know, he was he was excellent on the ball, took the ball, both feet. Um, but then you had like your characters, let's say, big big Alex, uh, Alec McLeish, 
You know, he's always always a character. Roy Aitken as well was the same. He had some character. Morris Malpass was, as I said before, you know, a really good help to help me settle in. Because it was difficult. You know, I'd say difficult. I was 26, but I was still... Um, and even though I'd, I'd sort of played with the, the big hitters at Everton, you know, I'd gone from Bradford where I were a big fish in a small pond two years earlier. Then to it took me a year to settle in at Everton. Even though I was 24, 25, I was still like a bit sort of in awe of like your Peter Reeds and Kevin Ratcliffe and all the internationals. Um, but I was never, a, never an overconfident. I remember, you know, training and Gary Mack was in the squad and, you know, I think Andrew Ross used to anyone would take a corner or a free kick and Gary was straight over. I mean, he was a, you know, a great uh, dead, dead ball specialist, but I used to get worried he'd ask me to take a throw in, you know, I was just happy to run about, kick a few people and uh, get a couple of tackles in. But yeah, so I was never overconfident, but um it would just, listen, again, it, it, it's your dream come true. You just, it's something that's, you know, and it, it happened so quickly. That's, you know, let's say for Scotland to qualify, for me to make my debut in, I think it was March, and then you go into a World Cup two or three months later. Um, it was just a whirlwind, uh, but one that I, you know, thoroughly enjoyed. What were your first impressions of Andy Roxburgh and working with him? Well, my first impressions were, I didn't know Andy Roxburgh was. I knew, obviously, Craig Brown because he picked me for the 21s. Um, I didn't know a lot about Andy Roxburgh, but I remember, I remember after training, he was doing some incredible ball skills that I couldn't even dream about. You know, so I, I, I think somebody had said he'd been a school teacher. I don't know if he'd played much on it, to be honest, but he, he had an unbelievable array of skills and he was just, after training, he, were, he wasn't showing off. I think yeah. He was just doing a demonstration and, it, it, you know, I was... But he was always methodical, um, you know, I always knew what my role was in the team, what he wanted, what he wanted from me. Um, it was very patriotic, uh, as was Craig and um, all the staff. Really, you know, you you, you know, you work for Scotland, you're, you're fully behind it. So, um, no, I mean, I uh, it, it, and he, I think he always wanted um, everyone to be together. I think when we we used to go away, but remember Euro '92, we you know we had. There's not what it is nowadays, you know, your own iPads and laptops and all that, you know. So we had race nights and we had quizzes and things that, you know, I think some people, it's not their style, they want to go to bed, but I think Andy wanted everyone together, which I say upset a couple of people, but, you know, everyone's different and prepared different. But I think certainly from Andy's point of view and Craig's point of view, he wanted to build a like a club mentality when you went away. And I, I totally got that. And uh, I, I, I enjoyed my time. I enjoyed my time. I mean, you would enjoy your time anyway from Scotland, but I certainly enjoy my time under Andy as I did with Craig. Brilliant. Let's move on to Italia 90 then. Your first game for Scotland was against Argentina. Second was against Germany. And then you're heading to the World Cup to play against Brazil. Can you remember much hype when you're heading over to Italia 90 about that? Yeah, I, th- I think everyone thought, they saw the draw come out. Costa Rica win. Sweden, oh, Costa Rica win. Brazil lose. Sweden's going to be the key game. You know, that, I think that was everybody's, maybe the players possibly, but certainly the press and the fans and that. So you think, you look at it and think, oh, get off to a good start. Costa Rica, first game, was it three points in them days? Probably, I don't know if it was two points or three points. But anyway, <laughs> get, off to a, get off to a win, uh, winning start, and then, and then hopefully can progress. And obviously everyone... No, so, I mean, we, the preparations was good. Um, we're in a, a great, I think it was Rapallo. We're in a great little spot, lovely hotel. Um, food was fantastic. Training, great. I remember as well, so probably made it for me as well. Um, 
one of the training sessions, my idol, I keep going back to Joe Jordan. He came down because obviously he played in Italy, he came down as a bit of a, um, you know, it helped with the, the, the languages and that. So, you know, it was, um, it was brilliant. And he joined in a little bit of the training. So that, that was fantastic. Um, but then we go to the first game. Uh, or first and foremost, um, what Andy used to do and Craig, they had a meeting where they'd have a meeting not all the team together. So you'd have the three goalkeepers. You would then tell the goalkeepers who were starting. You'd then have a meeting with the defenders, which defenders were starting, midfielders, and then the strikers. So that's how I first got to know it was starting. I think it was myself. I think it was Jim Bett and Paul McStay. I think maybe started the opener. Um, but I always remember, and you know, I'm sure the story's been told many times, but the five strikers, I think, was uh, Koisty Moore, Big McAnally, Flecky, and Gordon Jury. So I think them five went together. And as it happened, Coyce was, was rooming with uh, Big Mac and Ali. And Andy had sat down and said, right, um, we're going to start with uh, Mo and Ali up top. So Coyce is there with the big cheeser, you know, and he's, he's not taking much notice, thinking, brilliant, I'm starting. And then about a couple of minutes into the chat, he says, well, you know, you know, we need uh, Big Nally up there because the goalkeeper's not very good on crosses and that. And what Andy had said was Mo and Nally, not Mo and Ali. <laughs> so absolutely. So apparently when they went going back up to the room, you know, big big Rambo's on the phone to his parents or, you know, and his pals saying, yes, I'm playing. And of course he's sat in the next bed, absolutely got to because he got his time. <laughs> and, and now that had come about again, there's no analysis in the uh, in them days. You know, you can't get onto your, your you know, your, your data and, and have a look at videos and, and, and look at the players and that. In them days, so we got could struggle to get very, you know, little footage of Costa Rica. You know, we try to do what we can, and the whole story goes back. And, and I don't know how true it is that, you know, one of staff got told by somebody, a taxi driver, that uh, the Costa Rican keeper was only five foot ten, useless on crosses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, so hence, you know, we we play big uh, big Rambo. We scored, I think, a couple of goals in Malta. To be fair to him, so he might have been starting anyway. But um, big Rambo and we more top. And lo and behold, I think the, the keeper got voted, even though they went out after the keeper of the tournament. He was six foot one. He came out. He must have took... He was taking crosses on the edge of 18-yard box. He was that good. <laughs> so our game plan about putting loads of balls into the box obviously didn't go, didn't go down well. And, uh, yeah, it was, it's gone from probably the proudest... I, I didn't have any family over there. I had some friends, but I didn't have family. But after that result... I think we're walking back under the tunnel, the Tartan army, throwing the, the scarves at you and booing naturally. You're a disgrace. You know, the, the whole the whole country, you know, we'd let down. Um, and it was, you know, the 24 hours after that was was, was horrible. Um, absolutely horrible. Um, but in tournaments, as in like football, you can, you've got a chance to bounce back three or four days later against, um, against Sweden, which was going to be more of a, a British type game, if you like, you know, the European both going head to head and, uh, you know, thankfully we had a chance to redeem yourself. Well, and redeem yourself, you did. You got your Scotland goal against Sweden. What a moment. Yeah, it's, it's funny because that's, I think I was two games off of playing a thousand international games, a thousand international games, that would be right, a thousand competitive games. Um, and I would say probably two of them, and it sounds stupid, this, but we won in the tunnel, you know, psychologically. And, and that one against Sweden, I think for me was, we come out, we're next to each other. The Swedes are like blonde hair, 
tanned, blue-eyed Adonises, if you like, you know, and they were all, you know, Glenn Hussein, I think it was Liverpool captain, you know, just looked an athlete, Jonas Turn, you know, all of them, just physical specimens and, and looked really... And we had, I think, leaders out. Big Roy was giving it the Braveheart war cry. We had um, Jim Layton behind him, all Vaseline on his eyebrows and his teeth out. Um, big Alan McLeish, ginger hair, freckles everywhere, little Flecky with his teeth out. And Flecky, had, I think Flecky was picked in that game because he played for Norwich the back end of the season against Liverpool and gave Hussein a real you know, hard time. Um, so... We stood in the tunnel and, and you could sell it, and they sort of wilted. And that, that probably, I mean, that shows you how fearsome we were. But I was probably one of the best looking in the in, in the lineup, you know. So that shows you how ugly <laughs> we were. But it was just uh, the noise. It was just everything was that built up over the two or three days of um, disappointment and knowing that we'd let everyone down. And it was we were just ready to unleash it. And uh, you know, you could sort of sense and see the Swedes sort of wilting a little bit and there weren't any you know it was all come on you know and it, it was it was like a story you know and you were all just just didn't have the war paint on but um and then when we went out you know the tartan army sort of had three or four days to have a couple of beers and, and get over the cost of the result and we're fully behind us and yeah listen i was you know people always say oh, i remember your goal at um at sweden but uh i, I think I, I mean as a midfield player I think Andy Roxburgh put me, designated me to be on the edge of the box, but I took it for the six-yard box and not the 18-yard box. I should have been on the edge of the 18-yard box. I think the corner swung in. I think it was Murdo. Um, big slim David McPherson gets a flick on and I've always been deadly from a yard. So, yeah, it was a good start. What we needed settled us down. We then go on. Roy, big Roy goes through and does his dying swan act and I'm still not sure today with a penalty kick, man. I think he should have got a yellow card for simulation. But we get a little bit of fortune, get a penalty, more puts it away. They score later on and put a bit of pressure on us. But, but we, we hold out and we've gone basically from zeros to heroes. You know, it's it was, um, yeah. And, and I mean, listen, the saddest thing is that was our last last game, last World Cup victory at the finals, which, you know, is so... Oh, you, you, you know, again, unfortunately, not unlike yourself, I was brought up in an era where we qualified every every two years or every four years. Um, so, yeah, that's the, the, the sad fact about that. But it was certainly a um, a good performance, and uh, I think we I think we played cards and that in his hotel, and I maybe had a couple of beers long into the long into the night. I remember actually getting getting a, a knock on my door. I think about eight o'clock in the morning, um, an interview on the. Um, I think Hazel Irvin it was. And they wanted me to sit on the blooming springboard at the pool. Well, gosh, even walk along the blooming springboard, I think, or a little bit. But, uh, yeah, we're good. And then, obviously, we were then packing up and moving up to um, Turin to play um, Brazil. Yeah, there must have been a huge sense of occasion ahead of the Brazil game because we were close to getting out the group stage, but the hurdle that we had to overcome to do that was... Massive, really. Yeah, I mean, listen. It, I mean, it was still a top-class Brazilian side. They weren't the sides of you know previous years. I think they had a good side. They were they weren't, but you know they're obviously odds-on favourites. And um, yeah, it, it was you know you look back at that and what I think was eight minutes to go. The shot, big Jim Lee parries it out, and uh, boy, just was it Kareka? I can't remember. Just gets there and, and knocks it in. And even after that. 
again, late on in the game, I've nodded one down for Mo, and Mo's had a um, a great effort, and, and Taffarel in the goal, goal um, from about six yard, put it over the bar. I think he got voted the best save of the tournament, typical Scotland. So we almost even, you know, snatched it back, and we give as good as we got, and there's no doubt about it that night. I, I think it was a harsh result on us. But even then, you know, the cruelty of it was the next day, other results could go our way and we could still qualify. Um, and we were waiting right up to, I don't know, late in the, the afternoon the next day for if, if it had been a draw. And, and it was just just typical Scotland. You know, we, there were lots of ways maybe to get there and we, and we failed, um, unfortunately, on each one of them. How, how do you reflect on Italian 92 overall? Do you see it as a, a glorious standout in your football career or, or perhaps a missed opportunity? No, I, I've got to say, especially after the, the disappointment of the first game, I mean, I think people had wrote, after Costa Rica, people probably expected Sweden to walk all over us and certainly Brazil to give us a hiding. So I think we 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 got a little bit of pride back. I think when we arrived back, we, we came back to... I mean, obviously, I was going back back down south because I was playing for Everton at the time. But I think the the feeling of the, the supporters that we'd actually we'd, um, we'd 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 had a good go at it. You know, an initial start was poor naturally, but and we we didn't really recover obviously from the, the Costa Rican result. But I think we gained a lot of pride back with the two performances in Sweden and, and Brazil, and we're unfortunately not to go further. What was more of a sickener, the defeat to Costa Rica after the build-up to the tournament or then being beaten by Brazil when qualification was on the line? No, I, th- I think it's got to be a Costa Rican game. And and, and to be honest, you, you always think because you haven't heard a lot of them or the, the this and the that. But they went on, I think, they beat Sweden, didn't they? And they, they were, they actually, um, they qualified. <laughs> they qualified, I believe, ahead of Sweden. Sweden finished bottom of the group. So they went on to the, to the next stage. So, and because we didn't know a lot about them, everyone just thought, because they weren't, obviously, they were South Medic, but they weren't like a, a Brazil or an Argentina, you know, or a, a Chile or whatever. Um, we probably underestimated them. Um, but, yeah, I think that was a huge disappointment, especially when you're favourites. And, and it's your first game of the tournament. Um, that was the biggest kick in the teeth. But likewise, as you say, to be eight minutes away from qualifying, a draw against Brazil would have got us there. Um, yeah, that was just as... as um, Desperately disappointed as well, unfortunately. Yeah, just just because it was the one nil and it came so yeah. late on. It's not like Brazil eased past us with a goal either side of half time or anything. Yeah. You know, we were in it the whole way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that exactly, exactly. Um, and I remember coming to be honest. Yeah, their bus, their bus um, was parked right next to our bus after the game. We've coming back, and to be fair, the Tartan Army were brilliant. I mean, they were all you know, well played and all that, offering us cans of drink and cans of booze. I think we might have sneaked a couple on. And then you look over at the Brazilian bus, they've all got the samba dancing girls on it and, um, you know, scantily clad women there. And that was, that's the only time I ever thought, I wish I'd have been born in Rio. But, uh, you know, we, we've got all the, all the, the, the well, members of the Tartan Army on the bus and just slurring on you and offering you a drink and that. But, uh, no, it... it it finished in a positive way, I think, even though we were, you know, not so disappointed not to go for it. Okay, on to Euro 92 then. The group was Switzerland, Romania, Bulgaria and San Marino. You played in five of the eight qualifiers, so you're pretty much a, a fixture in the squad then after uh, the World Cup in 1990. 
Yeah, yeah. I, th- I missed a few with injury. I know that. I remember that. Um, I remember playing over at Romania, I think, when we got beat 1-0. Was it Lacatouche? Had you was playing. They had, they had some, yeah. yeah, they had some top players. And that was a blow. But um, that, was, that was the only defeat of the, the campaign of the yeah, campaign. Yeah, and I think we were, we were always quite solid. We never, yeah, listen, Scotland have been that for a long time. We, we never scored loads of goals, but we were always quite organised and um, defensively, you know, solid and hard to beat and hard to break down. Um, but I, re, I remember, funny, and it, it worked for us this time because I remember um, being asked by one of the uh, papers to go and sit and watch the last game, which would have been. Oh, did you just mentioned there, Romania and somebody else, and we needed a draw in that for us to yeah. qualify. Yeah. And amazingly enough, thankfully enough, it ended up being one all, I think. Um, yeah, um, Bulgaria I against Romania. Yeah, what was that? <laughs> Bulgaria against Romania. Yeah, that's yeah, they needed yeah, that's right, that, a draw. That's what it was, yeah. yeah. Um, so that again, that was works in our way a little bit. But you know, to go through that 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 group there and be, be only once, I think we deserve to, to get through. Um, yeah, and it was always nice then because that was the first first time we qualified for the Euros. Um, I think that's right. And my memory's not great, but I think that was the first time Scotland qualified for the Euro- European Championship. So, um, as always, then you want to then go and, and go a stage further. But in them days, there was only uh, eight teams there. You yeah. know, you look at it now, I don't know, it's 24 maybe or whatever, but there, there were only only eight countries at, uh, at Sweden, Euro 92. So to be part of that and be one of them. Was uh, was brilliant, incredible. The, the top eight teams in the continent, and it was only seven group winners that went through, plus the hosts who are Sweden to complete the yeah. the eight. So there was only seven group winners that went through. And yes, I think that the group that we had didn't have any big hitters. Okay, but if you look at the uh, some of the countries that missed out: Spain, Italy, Portugal, Czech Republic, Republic of Ireland were not bad back then. Oh. But they all didn't make it. Ah, gee whiz, that just shows you, yeah, yeah, yeah that's. I never knew there. Spain, Italy, of course. Yeah. Well, I was looking no, back we, through the. Oh, sorry, go on. No, no. See, we, we, we weren't bad back in them days. We were okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking back through the results of that group, and the one that stood out for me was a victory over Switzerland. Uh, John Robertson of Hearts fame and McCoy scored the goals. Uh, I, I watched the result, the goals on YouTube actually, uh, and. Robertson scored a penalty that it was never, never, ever a penalty. Never. I, I was <laughs> def, the, the one that uh, happened against Sweden um, that Roy Aitken dangled his leg out. That was, I thought that was more of a penalty than this one against Switzerland. Wow. And then uh, Gary McAllister scored a nice one from a, a tight angle. I couldn't tell from the highlights. Was it your header that, that played them through against Switzerland for that game? No. Honestly, not, not I, yours. I, I'm, I'm just thinking, I don't know if I played in that game. No. Was well, it, was it a... Someone that we we were um, two 0 down over them and drew two each. Um, that will have been. Uh, that's not the one that I'm I'm talking about just no. now. That was a two one victory. Um, yeah, so, but that, yeah, that's been a, what was the what was the away game? Because I think that was a I think that was a quite a crucial. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, a, 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 a point a point in Switzerland. I've got written down here. Yeah, so a, yeah, a point yeah. in Switzerland, which would would have been a big one. Uh, well, it was because I think if memory serves me correctly. We were two 0 down in that game. And we put in a really sterling performance and got back to two each. The two one one at two one one at home. I can't really remember much about that, but I think it probably would have been me putting that header through, even though I might have been saying stand. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> well, the uh, um, I want to ask a question. I, I, I like to ask every uh, guest. Okay, the the cliche is that there are there's no easy international game in football. Okay, and everyone says 
you might find it hard to believe, but playing against San Marino and the Pharaohs, etc., it, it is hard. So can you put this to bed? Because when Scotland are faced, I know that we had to wait for Romania and Bulgaria to draw, but our last game, we knew that we had to win and it was against San Marino, um, which would have left us in a good position. And you must be going into that thinking, we've, we've got this, it's in the bag. What, what was the score for that one? 4-0 to Scotland. 4-0, 4-0, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I played in a couple of games over in San Marino and 2-0 both times. And I think in one of them, might have been that qualifying one, um, it was going into 70-odd minutes and I think we Pat Nevin came on and got a penalty kick. Um, but that was... Um, yeah, but no, I think if you're at home, there's no excuses. Bearing in mind that these guys are... Some of them are not playing, you know you know, professional football. You know, a lot of these San Marino guys have got jobs. So I think, you know, when you, you look at it in that perspective, you know, that their games you should be winning. Even now, you know, when you look at Scotland, they see, you know, Pharaohs, be it, well, Gibraltar and, and yeah, you've got a... But I, I think it was funny because I, I can't remember it was recently. I don't know if it was one Welsh manager, but someday come out and says, oh, there's no easy games after Sunday the night before winning 9-0 or something like that recently. <laughs> so, yeah, I think when you've got your top countries playing against the lesser sides, you know, you should. But, you know, your one-off games are difficult. But, you know, certainly um, Scotland v San Marino, yeah, that, that, that's games you should be. Certainly winning the game, definitely. Can you take us back to watching the Romania against Bulgaria game then, knowing how much was raiding on it? And I suppose it must be harder because... You and none of the Scotland players or fans or staff can control anything in this oh. scenario. You've done your bit and now it's down to these two teams to give you the perfect result. Yeah, well, it, it's funny because I only got asked to do it because I used to write a column for the paper and I got asked to do it at the last minute, um, probably the day before, to go and sit in in the studio somewhere in a darkened room and watch the game coming in. I think it was about four o'clock or five o'clock. But... That day, it must have been a Wednesday, because at Rangers we had a day off and it was somebody's birthday and it had been organised to go out for a, a, a lunch. Um, so I remember turning up watching the game. I had a couple of beers and I was, you know, and somebody put me a little in uh, a, a Scotland scarf on me and I sat watching it and they've got me biting my fingernails. They've got a snapper at the side of me and I'm yeah. watching. Oh. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was just... And then I went up, because I remember getting stick from some of the... Um, Rangers lads who were um, not Scottish ah, don't bother you're not going to qualify but just stay out and you know have some have a drink with us and a bite to eat but I went obviously and watched it and then met up with them later on and gave them some sticks some of the the non uh, non-Scots of the the Rangers team but um, yeah no it was just massive relief it was it, it was horrible to watch you know absolutely horrible to watch because you know until that referee blows his final whistle you can go yeah you know, Scoring last kick at ball, can't you? So, but the relief, the elation, the joy, um, and then the right, you know, look forward to, to going. And as you said, um, get into get into a tournament where there's only going to be eight other sides. So it was um, massive, uh, massive achievement. I think that's probably understated a little bit looking back at Scotland's qualification history. The fact that there were only eight teams at this tournament. Yeah, that definitely. So when you look you look at it, and as I said, I can remember back. You know, Romania had some you know top players, especially middle to front. Um, Switzerland were always were always difficult as well. So, um, yeah, it was. Yeah, we were we were just a 
a hardworking group of guys and, you know, give everything we could for the, for the shirt and um, stuck together. And yeah, we, it was, it was brilliant to, uh, naturally to qualify. Just did the squad meet up to celebrate that? Because obviously you went together when qualification was sealed. No, no. I, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I think obviously that we then went on straight into the, the to league, league fixtures and that. So I can't, I can't remember that happening. Um, but, you know, it was, um, I, I can't even remember what then games we had prior to the, um, I don't think we, I can't remember if we went away prior to your night too, but obviously the next thing after that, once you qualify, you're looking forward to who you're getting. And cool. then when you, you know, we get drawn in the, the group we did, uh, you know, it was, was always going to be tough. You're guaranteed a tough draw, really, that you cannot yeah. escape it when there are only eight teams. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was Holland, Germany, and CIS, and that is the reigning European champions and the reigning world champions in the group. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember, obviously, we started off with the Dutch and um, weren't, weren't big stadiums in Sweden. So I don't, I don't know if the, the first one, maybe 30,000. Certainly the, the second one's against Germany and um, the Russians or the CIS was probably only about 18,000 uh, seat stadiums they were in because they weren't big stadiums. But um, the Dutch one, just to put it in perspective, we get beat 1-0. And for me, if you ever see the goal, Rud Hullett's crossing it, Marco van Basten's flicking it on, Rijkaard's knocking it down, and Bergkamp scoring. And that is not four really good players. They're, for me, four world-class players. Mm. So when you looked at what we were up against, the Dutch were a great outfit. But we give them a game. We were on the back foot most of the time because that's what we were. We were... As I said before, defensively sound, aggressive, committed, all the things that you, you'd like your Scotland team to be if you've not got that little bit of quality. Um, but when you look at the goal, as I said, to have them four players, it, it, it took them four players working together to score against us. And um, so that was a blow to lose a game. But the fact that we pushed them so close still give us a little bit of belief going into the next couple of games. Yeah, so you made life hard for them and forced the big players to step up and get it over yeah. the line. Yeah. Yeah, and that's I, right. I, I mean, ironically as well, <laughs> scored the winning goal scored by a man named after Dennis Law. Ah, there you go then, eh? Yeah. yeah. But it, it's funny because I was never one, never one for wanting to swap shirts. I'd swap them, but I, w- I wasn't going to run, apart from one game against Colombia when I got Valderrama's and run length of field. But other than that, I wasn't one to desperately to, to swap shirts. Um, but we, uh, I think I started that game having a, I don't know if it was a man-man marking job on, I don't know if it was Rijkaard or Bergkamp who dropped into number 10 position. And most of the game I played against one of them two. And you're normally up against them all the time. And when the final whistle went, I was up against, I don't know if it was a sub who'd come on a fullback, Van Earl or someone, no disrespect to him. I think he would, you know, had a good career, but, I, you know, I, I think Gary Mack runs 30 yards to get uh, Rijkaard, somebody else runs 25 yards to get Van Basten and Bergkamps, who I'd actually been sort of marking all the way through the yeah. game. But, uh, anyway, but um, yeah, but then we, we come up, up against the, um, the Germans and they just amalgamated. 
And the, the, the East Germans and the, the West Germans, I think, were just the first time they they actually come and played as a, a unified Germany. Yeah, the the fact that Holland had to score late on as well to beat us. It was last fifteen minutes or so of Bergkamp, and it wasn't wasn't a, a textbook Dutch free flowing goal. It was a ball into the box, a knockdown, and a, and a close range finish. Wasn't not the most aesthetically pleasing goal that you'll rewatch and rewatch if you're just a football fan, but Germany scored either side of half time. Did they control that one a bit more? The Germany game? Mm-hmm. No, no. Mm-hmm. This is one game um, that I would say we had more chances because we weren't, as I said, we weren't known for having lots of good chances. We had to be hard to break down, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In the first half, we had, I think, four or five absolutely clear opportunities. Um, we, I think it was Riedler who scored. They had opportunities as well. It was a fantastic game. You know, we, big Goffey had a couple of chances from corners, David McPherson, Gary Mack. Um, no, we, we, we played really well that day. And we, we, come, up, we come off at half-time, 1-0 down. And the time, and I mean, we were only a small section. As I said, it was only, I think it might only hold about 18,000 in the stadium we were playing but we've come in and, uh, right, no, the message is same again. You keep creating them chances that we're doing and keep putting them under pressure. Um, it's got to come. Two minutes into the, the second half, the big boy, Stefan Effenberg, goes down the right, goes to cross it. I don't know if it would have been Maurice Malpass. Left back anyway, I think it might have been more. Hits him and it just loops and loops and deflects over Andy Gorham and lands in the far corner. It was the most unluckiest goal to concede two minutes into the second half. And then even after that, we, we put pressure on, we have a go at them. Um, no, I think that's probably the, the most enjoyable game I've played in that I've lost, if you understand. You know, we, 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 we give them a game, there's no doubt about that. And I think we took the confidence from the Dutch game into the, into the, uh, the German game. Because again, they had, they had some you know, fantastic players, some world-class, world-class players. Um, but yeah, that would that would have been our regret in that one that we didn't take his chances. Normally, you would get one or two chances. Scotland playing against the top nations, we didn't have that many against Holland, but we certainly could have scored three or four against Germany that day. Unfortunately, the goalie had a good day, and we just we didn't uh, take his chances when it came about. So there's a difference post match from the Holland game then, because even you've played well but lost, but you know you can take it into the next game and still have a chance. But then you've played well no. against Germany and you must be a bit deflated knowing, right, OK, well, exactly. it's now a bit late. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're out. You know, we've, we've lost the two games. We're out. So it doesn't doesn't matter what happens in the, the last game against the CIS. But you're then playing, I say pride, you're playing to say, you know, the efforts and the way we played in the first two games merited us getting something, um, at least a goal, you know, to, to, to give the Titan Army something to cheer um, because as we know, they spend a lot of money, you know, following the following the the country and the team. But it was funny because we're up against the CIS, and again, both prior to the game, both coaches pull up um, alongside each other. And my uh, two of my teammates at Rangers, big uh, Kuznetsov and Mikhailchenko, are playing for the CIS. I think um, Oleg might be the captain, and certainly Alexei, one of their best players. And in the press. And little message, I think Coyce had spoke to a couple of them. You know, they, they thought it was home and host. I think they'd actually booked their um, their uh, hotel for the next venue 
you know, for the next round or the next, you know, next game going through because I think they, they may be drawn the both of the games and they mm-hmm. needed to beat us. And obviously they saw us with nothing to play for, you know. And I remember looking across and Alexei um, was big, big smiley face and doing that with the champagne, saying we've got champagne on the bus and, you know, they're all jovial um, normally because they're quite stony faced, but they're all, you know, prior to the game. And we've gone out and we had, the same more luck. We had a little, little bit of luck in that game that we didn't have in the previous two. I think Brian McClay scores his, his first international game in, I don't know how long, or I don't know, I can't imagine his first goal, but in a long, long time. Paul McStay hits a shot from 25 yards, hits the post, comes back, hits the keeper and goes in. And then we, we partner never wins a penalty, which I think it might have been, and Gary Mack scores it and we win 3-0. And, uh, but we had all the little bits, they've had chances and missed them, hit the bar. Um, and we've took our opportunities. And I said, you know, we probably played better against Germany than we did against the CIS, but we've managed to beat them 3-0. And the, you couldn't believe the contrast so before the game, they all wanted to speak. I, I never speak to anyone before the game. My focus is, is just on the football. Um, afterwards, yeah, you know, you can't affect the result then, so you, you chat away. Um, but before the game, even on the pitch, I think they're all smiles and, you know, looking forward to the, where they're going to stay in next game. So after the game, we're, we're on the bus, they're on the bus, they can't even look and we're rattling on the bus to get their attention. Which, you know, all that champagne you've got under your bus, can we have it now? You know, we, we're, we're actually, we're actually. I think we've got a couple of bottles of beer and we're, we're toasting them, but they, they weren't, they weren't happy. But yeah, and but but again, you know, the Italian ninety, we managed to to win a game, obviously against Sweden, and, and give the the support and the country something to 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 enjoy. Likewise, in Euro ninety two, at least we managed to win a game, and again we come back with a. A decent bit of praise, really. I know it sounds we've not qualified, but we we give Holland a game, give Germany a game, and did really well. Managed to win three 0 in the in the last game, so it wasn't a tournament. When you look back and go, oh, the disaster. It's actually it was okay. I was looking at the the report and the team sheet from this the CIS game. Like, I don't know if this is just ignorance on my part, or I, I don't know enough about the players of your generation, but it, was, it suggested it was a four four two. And I thought that's, that must be a very narrow midfield because it was you, McStay, and McClare and McAllister that said there uh, in a four-four-two. And I thought that none of those players strike me as wide players. Who was it? Who was it? To up top, McCoist Gallagher, came in, Gallagher it, and McCoist. Yeah, well, I, I think because there was nothing, not say nothing to lose. We couldn't. We sort of went a bit more far. Yeah, I think Gary Mack would have played on the right, and Brian played on the left. But as you say, a quite a narrow one. Um, and I think at times. Brian would have been pushed up on the left. Gary had come in a little bit and Kevin might have just drifted out to the right um, and, and played it like that. But a lot of times with Scotland, probably in the, in the previous games, when it's, we're up against, we're underdogs, we always went with a sort of back five. Um, we usually played 5-3-2. Um, so I think that's, that's right. So in the in the 91, it was myself, Paul McStay, Jim Bett, and then it, it changed a little bit. And then in the 92... Um, it was it was Paul, myself, and Gary Mack, usually in the midfield three. Um, but like I say, Brian McClare came in and played in there as well for energy. But yeah, you're right. They, they, them two played on the sides. Gary Mack's not a winger. Brian McClare's not a winger, but they were good, intelligent players that they, they came in. I think me and Paul maybe sat a little bit deeper and them two went and supported. 
Did you enjoy playing with Paul McStay? Because he seems like he's a bit of a guy now that, that lives in the shadows. You don't see or hear from him much and I was never around to, to see him play. No, I, th- I think he was like that. That's what he's like as a guy. He's a quiet, unassuming, you know, terrific footballer, um, great ability. Um, you know, when I look at, back at me, my club, my club games against Celtic, obviously they had Paul McStay, John Collins and Peter Grant. And it was probably, I would probably go more head-to-head with Grant in more in the physical side of it, you know. Um, but Paul was just um, a, a, a terrific footballer. And I, and I don't know if he'd, he'd regret it, but everyone will always put it down that he, he maybe should have gone and tried himself abroad or down in England. Um and he was probably a little bit unfortunate, although he had great times at Celtic and, and obviously he was, he was a legend at, at that club. Um, you know, he had to play through when, you know, Rangers were quite successful, so it must have been very tough for him. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was a, 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 a just a really gifted footballer and, and on top of that, a really, a really good guy. Was it absolutely no bother for the Rangers and the Celtic players to come together for Scotland at that stage? Not at all. Um, I say no, 100. percent no, I never got that feeling. I remember when I was at Everton in '90, and I think John Collins were at Hibs, and we roomed together for a couple of trips. So I'd got to know John quite well. Um, Paul, as I said, he's an unassuming character. Tosh McKinley, always you know, boy day. Um, no, I think when we came together, it was for the common cause. Sometimes we probably made, we've maybe met up after an old firm game, which can be a little bit. Um, but that were never carried on into training. I think the management, you know, be it Craig or be it Andy, always wanted that um, club feeling. And, you know, sometimes you say it's hard, but I, I never, ever once felt there was a, a clique or a... And, and, you know, at that time, unlike now, you know, Rangers had, a, you know, sometimes six, seven players in the, in the squads. Um, Celtic had, a, you know, a good few as well. Um, but no, I never, never felt once there was a us and them, even though we're rivals and you know in the in the league naturally. But uh, never felt that. How do you reflect on Euro '92 then? Similar to the Italia '91, do, do you reflect on it as a, a great experience or again a missed opportunity, which would be crazy considering the the quality yeah. of opposition. Yeah, uh, you look back and you always think, oh, if if we'd have had that little book that we, we'd rather have had the. Cut a little bit of luck that we got against um, CIS. If we'd have had them in the in the German game, we, we could have gone further. But no, I think all in all, we went. Nobody expected us to get any any further because of the calibre we were up against. Um, and I think we not only in the one game we won, but I think in the other two games we equipped ourselves really well. Um, and I think that's the first time the only you know the joke now. Um, you know, Scotland, when they get to a tournament, they haven't said it for a long time, get back before the postcards and all that. You know, that, that was a standing joke. But actually, in the Euro 92, um, uh, Sweden beat England the night before us. Thomas Brolin scored, went on to play for Leeds. And um, they actually were knocked out of a tournament for the first time before we were, I think. But um, or certainly that game the night before the play does. Yeah, they were actually officially out of it. But and I remember going out that night as well. We all went out, the whole Scotland. I remember Archie Knox turning up. He was there on scouting duty and um, other other um, ex-managers and people that have been with Scotland. And all the Sweden and Scotland fans got on fantastically well. And, uh, you know, we, we, we had a good night. I think there was a few Thomas Brolin songs going about and that. But uh, <laughs> no, so when you look back at it, it was a, yeah, it was... 
really enjoyable tournament, um, hosted brilliantly, got looked after, um, and yeah, just again, nearly but not quite getting uh, one step further. Sports Social Podcast Network.